Hey, for those of you who want to open your Bible, we're going to be in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12. We're going to cover two chapters today. No worries, it's not as daunting as it sounds. So Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12, and we're not going to read this whole thing, but we are going to read selected parts. So we'll begin in verse 1, and it says, Now the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come and live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine-tenths remained in their towns. The people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who stayed in Jerusalem, but in the villages of Judah each lived on his own property in their towns. The Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants, while some of the descendants of Judah and Benjamin settled in Jerusalem. Okay. So from here, he lists off a whole lot of names that we're not going to read through right now. So if you would jump with me over to chapter 12, jump with me over to chapter 12, verse 27 is where we'll pick it up. Chapter 12, verse 27. It says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing, accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers gathered from the region around Jerusalem, from the settlements of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for they had built settlements for themselves around Jerusalem. After the priests and Levites had purified themselves, they purified the people, the city gates, and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up on top of the wall, and I appointed two large processions that gave thanks. One went to the right on the wall toward the dung gate. Um, Hoshia and half the leaders of Judah followed along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priests' sons with trumpets. And Zechariah, son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mattaniah, uh, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, followed as well as his relatives. Shemaiah, Azarel, Milali, Gilali, Maai, uh, Nathanel, Judah, and Hanani with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Ezra the scribe went, went in front of them at the fountain gate. They climbed the steps of the city of David on the ascent of the wall and went, abo- went above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The second Thanksgiving procession went to the left. And I followed it with half the people along the top of the wall, past the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall above the Ephraim gate, and by the old gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. They they stopped at the gate of the guard. The two thanksgiving processions stood, stood in the house of God. So did I and half the officials accompanying me, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Maasiah, um, Miniamin, uh, Micaiah, Elianai, uh, Zechariah, and Hananiah, Hananiah with trumpets, and Maasiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzai, Jehonan, Jeho, ah, I knew I was going to miss one, Jehohanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. Then the singer sang with Je- Jezrehiah as the leader. On that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated, and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. On that same day, men were placed in charge of the rooms that housed the supplies, contributions, first fruits, and tents. The legally required portions from the priests and Levites were gathered from the the village fields because Judah was grateful to the priests and Levites who were serving. 
They performed the service of their God and the service of purification along with the singers and gatekeepers as David and his son Solomon had prescribed. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were, he there were heads of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So, in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all Israel contributed, to, contributed the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers. They also set aside daily portions for the Levites, and the Levites set aside daily portions for Aaron's descendants. Thank God for his word, and you may be seated. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Y'all, that's a lot of names, and I skipped most of them. And I'm not sure I pronounced one of them right. Ha, take that. <laughs> for those of you who didn't hear that, Virgil said, neither are we. So, I don't know if that means... You don't know if I pronounced him right or you're confident I didn't, but either way, either way, we're just going to keep on moving. Um, so, so next week, don't forget to do your memory verse because we're going to come back to it time and time again. Um, but as I was preparing for this, for this passage, um, I, I realized that I had, I had made a mistake in my preaching calendar. Um, I, I talk about it sometimes that I, I plan ahead where we're going to be and I plan quite a ways out. I, I try to be about a year in advance um, of where we're going to be. But I realized I made a mistake on this one. Um, as I was planning, this sermon should be happening next week. Because you all know what holiday is, is next week. Like a week and a half away, right? Some of you? Thanksgiving? Okay. Yeah. Um, so Thanksgiving is next week. Uh, don't forget, eat beef. Um, yeah, good stuff. Um, you know, whenever I started thinking about Thanksgiving being next week, I thought, you know, there's, surely there's a good graphic that we can put up here that's going to get some laughs. And then I realized a whole lot of them are very inappropriate for what we're doing here today. So, um, anyhow, eat beef is good enough for today. Next week is Thanksgiving, and I realized that today's text would flow very well with a Thanksgiving-type service. But, here's the catch. I don't think it has to be the holiday Thanksgiving for us to be a thankful people. Um, at least I sure hope it doesn't have to be. Um, if you have to wait till one day a year to be a thankful person, you're not doing it right. Okay, so we're going to be thankful people today because what we're going to look at today is a ministry of gratitude. I was reading, um, I was reading this week about this text, and that's what uh, a professor at Southwestern Seminary, he called this, he called this, this section a ministry of gratitude. And I thought, he's, he's exactly right. These people are thankful people, and everything they do is flowing from that sense of gratitude. And I just want you to apply that to yourself today. Yeah, I want you to apply that to yourself today. And some of you are thinking, well... Okay, we should be thankful people, fine, yeah, I know. But just think about what you have to be thankful for. And some of you would say your family, some of you would say your health, some of you would say where you live. But I'll say that there's one much bigger than any of those things, and that is that we have a Savior who loves us enough to come and die for us. Y'all, that that's something we ought to be thankful for. And not just a little thankful, not just thankful on November whatever, I don't even know what date Thanksgiving is this year, but I could probably do the math, 25th? Somewhere thereabouts? Am I close? Hey, one for one. Um, all right, I'm batting a thousand. So, we don't have to just be thankful one day a year. We should be thankful 365 days a year because we have a Savior who loves us and died for us. So, in that respect, everything that we should do, everything that we do should flow from the gratitude we have for Christ. Everything we do should just flow from a place of gratitude for Christ. So, that's what I want us to see today. And I want to show you what that looks like in practice. These people had been used by God in a pretty incredible way, and they just let that gratitude of being used by God just flow out of them. 
and we see this ministry of gratitude. So I want to show you these three attributes that, uh, that are characteristic of grateful people, of thankful people. All right? So the first is a grateful people that desire to be used by God. If you are truly a thankful person, if you are truly thankful for what Christ has done, I think you will have a desire to be used by God. A real desire to be used by him. Okay, in this particular context, these people have been used by God, right? These people have been used in a very, very powerful way. All right? So they've been used by God. Remember, this was an impossible task. These were people who came back out of exile. They were sitting there wallowing because they didn't have the strength to get up and build what needed to be built. They didn't know how to go forward. And God sent them this guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah comes in and says, you know what? Let's get up and let's build. Let's rise up and build. So he comes in and they start building this wall. And if you remember, this was built in an incredibly short amount of time. Like this was a huge job. And these people did it in less than two months. Rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem in less than two months. They did something that shouldn't have been possible. They had been used by God to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But see, there's a catch now. Because the city has to be repopulated, doesn't it? The city has to be repopulated. You can build walls all day, but if you're not protecting something, then what good are walls? <laughs> these people knew that the city needed to be repopulated. And it would be a sort of ongoing service to God. But how would they decide who it was that was going to live in the city? Well, first of all, the leaders were already there, right? The leaders were committed to staying in Jerusalem. It says in, in chapter 11, verse 1, it says the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem. They were already there. They were already living there as these walls were being reconstructed. But, but now they were going to convert from this short-term residence to a long-term residence. They were committing to be a part of the city. They were going to be there for the city. Okay, so that's part of the people. But if you have leaders but nobody else, is that really, that really going to cut it? Well, obviously not. So how do they decide who else is going to live in the city? Well, they decided. Remember last week we talked about um, giving your first fruits. We talked about tithing. A little bit. Um, they decided last week that they were going to give a part of their resources. This week they decide they're going to give a tenth of the people. We're going to give a tenth of our people. They decide to tithe on the people. Verse 1, it goes on and says, The rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come and live in Jerusalem, the holy city, with the other nine tenths remaining in their towns. See, they're going to give 10% of the population to go live in Jerusalem, to repopulate the city. Now some of these folks, they were going to go willingly. Some of these people willingly went. It actually says in verse 2 that the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Right? They gave credit to or they, they gave praise to those people who said willingly and freely, like, yes, I want to go and I want to serve God by going back and living in Jerusalem. I want to do that. And the people, they recognized their sacrifice. They said, thank you for going, and they praised them for that. Okay? But think about this for just a minute. Because I think many of these people are a lot like you and I. Uh, how many of you all grew, grew up in northwest Missouri? Uh, okay. I would say that's the majority of you that grew up in northwest Missouri, okay? So this is, this is home, right? Now, I would guess that many of you are like me in this, that at some point throughout your life, you, you left home for a time. Um, I, I remember when, when my wife and I, we lived in northwest Missouri. We grew up here. We moved to Texas. We left home. But there was still always something that was like, well, northwest Missouri is still home, even though we didn't live here. Like, we didn't own anything here. There was nothing that was ours, but this was still home. And we came back. And I would guess that many of you are like me. I don't know if you left for college or you left for a job or you left for military service or what you left for, but many of you probably left home at some point. But did it ever really feel like this was anything but home? Probably not. This probably still felt like home, which 
most of you came back. <laughs> Look at y'all. You're all here. Uh, but what drew you? What was it that brought you back? Now, I know that there's a variety of answers to that question. Some of you, it might be family. Some of you, it might be it just didn't feel right. Some of it, maybe it was a job that enabled you to get here. Uh, I, I don't know. And there's a whole bunch of circumstances. But there's just something always there about home. Now, many of these people are probably like us in that they were not in the place they'd left. They were not in their ancestral home ground. And they come back, and where do you think they want to live? In the city where they have real, really no history or out in their towns where their families lived? See, even if, even if I, I hadn't grown up here, I could, still, I could still walk down Main Street in Oregon. I could talk to people, and they would probably tell me they remember my grandfather um, or my dad. And there's still that tie, that connection. And even if you separate out further than that, there's still something special about going back to a place where you say, you know what? My family, they, they lived here, they worked here, they farmed the ground right down the road. Like, this is a place that my family, they poured in their blood, sweat, and tears to see this place improved. Now, these people are being asked to leave that, that to leave all of that, and go live in Jerusalem. That'd be difficult, y'all. That would be hard. Why? Well, simply, that wasn't their home. It wasn't home to them. So that's, first of all, why they praised those people who went willingly. But I don't think those people who were, who were drafted, I don't think that they were disappointed that they were drafted. I, I really don't. You don't see any hint of that in the text, that they, they rebelled against that. Instead, what I think we see is people who are just thankful that they can be used by God. And they willingly go. You know, I've, I've encountered some of these people who, who ministry is just what they were always going to do. Uh, you know, I, I serve as a pastor, um, and I, I, I remember going to seminary. There was a, a family that lived right across the... Um, the courtyard from us. We lived in an apartment complex. There was a family that lived right across. And, and this guy, he just always knew that he was going to be a pastor someday. He grew up. His dad was a pastor. And he said, I just always knew that that's what God was leading me to. Uh, I remember listening to another preacher say that uh, he just always knew he was going to do that. He remember coming with his father to counsel somebody who was going through a loss, of, loss of, a, of a loved one. And he said, I remember sitting there listening to my father counsel them. And he said, at that moment, I knew that's what I was going to do. I just knew that's what God was calling me to. And if you talk to missionary kids who have been on, on the road, they've been out traveling with their family, and they've been, been in these households, and they come and they say, you know what, I've just always known that God had laid this on my heart to be a missionary. I just want to go and continue that. I want to be a missionary. And they go willingly. Like, they just know that's what they want to do. Y'all, that's not my story. And I'm sure it's not your story. For many of you, that's probably not your story. You probably weren't always just that person who was going to be like, yeah, I want to be used by God in this way. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of preachers who say, I ran from God. You all know how long God had been tugging at me to go and do something? Um, I'm embarrassed to tell you how long it was, because it was years. Um, now, I know that that's a very pointed, like, okay, we're talking about pastors and missionaries, but that's not the average person. Well, I disagree, um, because I think every one of us could apply that. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a believer in Christ, then you've been called to service. You've been called to service. I don't know if that's sharing with your neighbor. I don't know if that's being a part of a hospitality ministry. Uh, you could have any number of things. But for some of us, we just know that's what we want to do. Like, that's, that's what God's called me to, and we know all along. Some of us, we feel like we've been drafted into it, and we just have to serve because somebody has to do that. And you know what? I'm able, so I'm going to serve. I don't think there's any difference, though, in how we perceive that. Because I'll tell you what, even though I ran from God for years, I'm very thankful for the fact that I get to serve him in the capacity that I do. I still think that people were grateful, even as they went to serve in this capacity, to serve God by going to Jerusalem. 
And from there, it goes on. And starting in verse 3, it names all those people who come back. Um, not all the people, but a, a good number of the people who come back and they repopulate Jerusalem. And it starts in verse 3 and goes all the way through verse 24. And I th think this demonstrates just a few things for us that I would like to point out. One, I think this demonstrates that this is a historical book. Um, and it is truly a historically accurate book. Because as you read through this, you'll see uh, that it gives the number of Judah's descendants, the number of Benjamin's descendants, and so on and so forth. Why does it say all those numbers at the end of those? Because that's how many people went. Like, it's not that complicated. Why does he list that number? Because that's how many people went to the city. How do you know this book is reliable? Well, it's not like he rounded off to the nearest hundred. No, he gave you the number of people from each of these persons' descendants. So we can trust this. It's a historically accurate book. So that's one thing that it shows us. The second thing it shows us is that God cares about the sacrifice you make in service to him. God cares about the sacrifice you make in service to him. Okay, these people, many of them who were, let's just say, drafted to go live in Jerusalem, many of these people, they were leaving something behind. They were leaving their ancestral towns and villages to go live in this city as service to God, which is a sacrifice to them. But see, the result of this is important. Their names are written in the book. They are recorded in Scripture as people who went and served their God. You know what Jesus says about this book? It's not going anywhere, ever. Their sacrifice is remembered. Just so you all know, whenever you sacrifice for service to the Lord, it's not like God doesn't notice. It's not like you have to say, well, God, don't you realize what I gave up? Don't you realize how difficult that was? God, this is so hard, and I feel like it's for nothing. Did you know that God cares about your sacrifice? He knows what you're sacrificing, and he cares. And I think that's shown here. But I just want to point out real quick that it's not just the 10% who go to repopulate Jerusalem who are serving their God. It's not just the 10%. Instead, it's the whole 100%. Notice that 10%, they go live in the city. 10% are, are, are drafted to go live in Jerusalem. The other 90%, they go back to their farming settlements. You know what happens if the 90% don't go do their job? The 10% can't do theirs. It's hard to grow crops inside of buildings or on top of walls. They needed these other 90% also. See, this is that concept I brought up a couple weeks ago that I remember hearing a missionary talk about going down into a well. He said, whenever you go down into a well, one person goes down. But that's not the only person that's doing the work, is it? The person standing up on top who's holding the other end of that rope as you go down into the well, they're doing just as much work. And by the time everything's done, both people have blisters on their hands. And I remember that just resonated with me so much. Because really, it's not just the 10% who are going to repopulate that are serving their God. It's the other 90% that have to do their part in order for the 10% to be able to do their part. Y'all, you might not think that what you're doing is important. You might think, okay, i got to get up and i got to go to my job my every day in the Monday and i got to go do all this stuff, and it's really not important to God. That is a lie. Of course what you do is important to God. Every part of our life is important to God. He cares for you. He cares about what's going on. And it's all done in service to God. Did you know that your job, the way you go about your job, is service to God? Did you realize that? You know, Paul would write about this, and he would say that a, a, true, a true sacrifice is, is a life laid down. We were living our lives, at, or we're giving our lives as living sacrifices. Right? Your life is for God. And that's what we see here. These people, these people 
are giving their lives to the service of God because they're grateful for being used by God. So from here, Nehemiah, he goes through and he relists those people um, who came back with, with Zerubbabel. Um, and it's just a reminder of the honor that was owed to them. I mean, why, why, would, why would Nehemiah see a need to list these people who came up with Zerubbabel? It was just a reminder of what God had done and that these people who are living in Jerusalem now were a continuation of that story of God's work. Just a continuation of that story. And in the same way, we look at this and we may think, how does Nehemiah affect us? Well, did you all know in some way we are a continuation of the work that began clear back here? It was going on back with Nehemiah. We are a continuation of God's work here. God is still moving. God is still working. And we get to be a part of it. And I believe the grateful people that desire to be used by God. Second, second characteristic here, or second attribute, is that grateful people celebrate being used by God. Grateful people celebrate being used by God. Um, if you go to chapter 12, verse 27, um, chapter 12, verse 27, we see this dedication service out at the wall. And there's this massive service. Now, remember, they have spent countless hours, countless hours over the last few months getting these walls built up, laboring over these walls. And this would have been backbreaking labor, right? Um, so they're building these walls, and against all odds, they saw God do a work that only he could do that seemed like it would be impossible to do in the amount of time they did it. Okay. But what they do is they give credit where credit is due. That's what they're doing here. Verse 27, it says, um, he sins for the Levites and, and for with the purpose of dedication. It actually says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. These people wanted to celebrate, wanted to celebrate what had, God had done through them. They wanted to celebrate the fact that God had worked. Then they were so ecstatic, so ecstatic that God had used them to accomplish this work that they were going to show that thankfulness. They were going to have a demonstration of this thankfulness. But how did they do it? Well, they did it by dedicating this wall to their God with singing and music. With singing and music. Y'all, we come together and we sing every week. I hope you don't just go through the motions. I hope you realize that's an opportunity to celebrate with singing and music. Because we have something much bigger than walls to be thankful for. You know, whenever we come together, we should be showing how thankful we are. So they assemble all of these singers, right? And I just want you to think about this assembly for a minute. Uh, you know, you know, I've been to some pretty cool concerts. Um, I, I remember one of my favorites. Um, and I, thought, I think it's funny that it was one of my favorites because I asked my wife about it. And she'd almost forgot that we ever went to this thing. Um, in her defense, this was like a decade and a half ago. So it's been a little while. Um, so about 15 years, it was 15 years ago, 2006. 2006, um, we went to this, to this big music festival in Kansas City at the Starlight Amphitheater called Rock the Light. Okay? Um, and it was, it, it was so cool. There was a, there, but see, the thing is, there was only like two bands that I really wanted to go see. Um, that was one of the first times I ever saw Casting Crowns perform live. Um, and it was, it was amazing. Um, and then there was another band called Cutlass. You all don't care about which bands I wanted to go see. Anyway, so there were dozens. Oh, oh you do care. So there was Cutlass and there was Barlow Girl and um, let's see, who were the others? Um, I, anyway, so, so there, was, there was a dozen bands or more that were there at this thing. And we wanted to go see who, we wanted to go see these bands, right? So we got to, we were dating at the time. Pretty redheaded girl bought me the tickets to this thing. So we went. Um, and I wasn't about to say no to the pretty redheaded girl. Um, so we wanted to go down and we wanted to see these. And I just remember going down. I remember how I was just kind of in awe of, of, 
of not just the singers, but also of, of the content of what they were singing. I remember we were, st- we were standing there, and we weren't that far back, so we were, and we were right in front of the, the, the amps and everything, right? So we were, like, having our hair blown back every time something happened. Um, so we're standing there, and Casting Crowns comes on, and they start singing Praise You in the Storm. Um, and I remember him telling the testimony, uh, his testimony about how that song came about, and just, just this awesome moment where God is like, you know what, Jared, e- even if everything isn't good, like, I'm still worthy of being praised. And I just remember how awesome that moment was with these bands coming together just for this time of worship and praising their God. But you know what? The reason I bring that up is because I don't think that would hold a candle to what these people experienced here in Nehemiah. I really don't think it would. Um, And here's why. Um, These singers, they come together from all over the place, all over Jerusalem, from their towns, from their villages, and they all come together. And that's what these people do. They sing That's why they're called singers. Y'all pick up on that? This is what they do. And they come together with the purpose of celebrating what their God had done. They had seen God do something incredible. And they came together to praise that God. To celebrate what he had done. Y'all, I I just, I I don't know. I kind of think about the day um, when when we're in heaven. When we're with when we're with the Lord. And all we can do is sing his praises. Look at him and say, holy, holy, holy. Y'all, I think these people knew how awesome their God was and they just wanted to sing his praise. But notice the way they do it. When they come together to, for, this, for this whole service, right, they purify themselves in preparation for the service, don't they? Um, they don't just come together and assume that their talents are enough. They don't just come together and say, well, I've got a beautiful voice. I'm like the songbird of my generation. I'm just going to come in and start singing, and it's going to be awesome, and God's going to love everything I do. That's not what happens. Verse 30. And notice this is the Levites here, but it says, After the priests and the Levites had purified themselves, they purified the people, the city gates, and the wall. Um, the word here, the word here um, in the Hebrew for purified is, is tahar. And, and the word means to be clean or to be pure. Um, literally what it means is to purge of ritual impurities. To purge yourself of ritual impurities. So as they came together for this, for this awesome service, for this awesome worship service, these Levites, they wanted to ensure that they came, to, they came to praise their God in a worthy manner. They came to God and they were purified. So they purged themselves of all impurities. Then they purified the people also. These people came and they realized they, they were people of unclean lips, to quote Isaiah. They knew that they needed their God to come and to purify them. So that's what they did. They came and they were purified first and then they start this worship service. Whenever we come, we need to ask God to forgive us of our sins. We need to come to him and say, God, I can't clean up myself. I'm not good enough. And said, Lord, the only way my praise is ever going to be worthy of anything is if you come and you make it worthy. And that's what they do. They come together and they purify themselves. Verse 31 then goes on. We get this description of the procession on the wall, right? Um, and I think there's a good reason that they take them around the top of the wall. And just, just picture this, right? So you got the city of Jerusalem, and now they're breaking up in these two big processions to go around the wall. But why in the world did they have to get up on top of the wall to do this? Couldn't they have just gone to the temple and had this service? Wouldn't that have been easier? Probably would have, you know, post some flyers around town and say, you know, we're going to meet at the temple at this time, and that's where we're going to have this service. No, instead they say, we're going to get up on the walls and we're going to march around these walls. Why did they do it? Well, I think, I think it's, there's two reasons, actually, and I want to go through these real quick. 
Uh, but both of them, they show, show reasons to celebrate being used by God. So I think they're appropriate here. Okay, the first one is that it was so that the people could see the work that God had accomplished through them. I think it's good to see the work that God has accomplished through you. I think it's good. And remember, this was God's work. It's not like this was all about the people doing this here, right? If you go back to, to Nehemiah 6, 15 and 16, it says the wall was completed in 52 days. When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. These people knew that this was God's work. This was God's work. But God had done this through these people. And Ezra and Nehemiah, as they come together for this time of celebration, they wanted to encourage these people who had seen God move by showing them the work that they had accomplished by God's grace. So they do. They come up and they march around the walls. And you know what that would do? That would give them an opportunity to say, hey, you remember when we were working in this rubble over here? That's now these walls? You remember what God has done? It was an opportunity for them to see the work. The second reason I think they did this is because the completed wall, it disproved their enemies. It silenced their enemies. If you remember back to chapter 4, verse 3 of Nehemiah, remember what, what these people were saying as they insulted them. If you remember, it said, Then Tobiah the Ammonite said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Even if a fox climbed up there, a little, just a pibbly fox climbs up here, what good is, I mean, that's going to break these walls down. You guys are wasting your time. And now there are two large processions marching on top of this wall. Ha! You know what we can say by the completed work of Christ? You know what? Yeah, Satan had been telling me that it wasn't ever going to be good enough. It wasn't ever going to last. And you know what we can do now? We can say, you know what? We can march around the tops of these walls and Satan, you're a defeated enemy. I have the proof. Here it is. My life has changed, radically transformed by the grace of God. And listen, whenever we stop and we look at what God has done, I think that we will, we will be like these people and we will celebrate. And I think that we'll sing because we will see our enemies defeated and we will be able to see how God has used broken people to accomplish his purposes. Y'all, I think that's something we're celebrating. So they march around the tops of these walls as part of the celebration. Then they, they, they reunite at the temple. They reunite. They come together at the temple for this, like, like the grand finale here. So they come together at the temple, and there's, there's singing, and there's music, and there's sacrifices. And they tell us why. They give us the why right here. Nehemiah tells us in verse 43, it says that the celebration was held because God had given them joy. Because God had given them joy. They weren't just celebrating the fact that they accomplished something. They were celebrating because God had given them joy. And everybody was there. Just think about how awesome this assembly would have been. Everybody was there. It wasn't just, just the men of the community coming together. It wasn't just the Levites and the priests. It actually says that there were women and children there also. And if you remember over the last few chapters, these were people who could listen with understanding. People who had heard the word of God read and preached. And now they're coming together for this great service. And I just imagine hundreds and thousands of people coming together to worship their God. All because of what he's done. And I love the, I love the last, last phrase of verse 43. Last phrase of verse 43. It says, and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. They didn't hold back. Not even a little. 
When was the last time somebody heard us rejoicing far away? When was the last time? Has that ever happened? But just think about this for a minute. I'm not trying to be hypercritical. But let's just think about this for a minute. I, I say often that I think we could stand to be a little more enthusiastic in our worship. Um, and there's a reason for that. These people were celebrating the fact that a wall had been built. I mean, that's what they were celebrating, right? They'd built this wall. God had accomplished this work through them. Walls had gone up. Okay. And they're celebrating this so much that as they come together and they're singing and they're celebrating people way down the road, like clear over in the next town, they hear this celebration going on. People far away hear the celebration. You all know that we have something much bigger than a wall being built. You all realize that, right? Like we have the God of the universe who said, you know what? You are headed straight to hell right now. On your own, that's all you've got. Why? Because you've chosen yourself over me. God has said, you have chosen your own way. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not this kind of God who's going to hold you, tie you down and say, nope, you've got to come with me all the time. Uh-uh. He gives us this, this awesome freedom where we can, we, can, we can walk away from him. And you know what the Bible says? It says that every one of us has. Every single one of us has chosen our own way over his. Which means that we are walking straight towards hell in eternity of damnation. Every single one of us. That doesn't sound very good. Do you realize that God didn't want that? He didn't want that. So you know what he did? He sent his son, his only son, to come and to die in your place. To take your punishment. To die the death that you deserve for walking away from him. He took that on himself. It says that he took his sins into his body and hung them on a tree. He died on the cross for you. He died for you. And you know why he did that? Not just so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell, but so that you could be reunited with the God who loves you. Not only do you not have to suffer the consequence of hell, but now you get to celebrate in eternity with a God who loves you. Why are we not celebrating right now? My goodness, people, do we really understand what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to? These people saw walls and they're like, we can't help it, we're celebrating. People down the road at the charismatic church knew it and they were here and celebrating. And here we are, and we're like, yep, mm-hmm. that's good. Is it lunchtime yet? Hmm. Jared, stop talking. We want to go watch Chiefs play at 7 tonight. <laughs> okay, yeah, good for you. You've been saved from your sin for all eternity. You don't have to walk around in your shame and your filth and your guilt anymore. You've been set free. Y'all, that's something we're celebrating. Somebody say amen. Amen. My goodness, do we get it? I was afraid I was going to chase that tangent. Um, Maybe I won't. No, I won't chase that one now. (sighs) Y'all, we should be excited about the work of Jesus so much that we can't hold back our celebration. Like, can... Do we really get it? Because if we do, we will celebrate, and I think our celebration will be heard far away. (sighs) So these people saw God work. They didn't hold back. I actually like what Warren Wearsby, he called this. He called it the shout heard around the world. Um, I thought that was good. And this is recorded here in God's word for us to look and see this celebration. I believe the grateful people, they desire to be used by God, then they celebrate being used by God. And then finally, grateful people, they dedicate themselves to their God. Grateful people dedicate themselves to their God. So 
that dedicated themselves. Um, they gave the first fruits. We talked about this last week, right? So here they begin, they, they begin collecting what was given to the storehouse. And the last part of verse 44, I think, tells us it's a good indication of why they did it. Um, last part of verse 44 says, Because Judah was grateful to the priests and Levites who were serving. These people didn't just give because they were legally obligated to give. These people gave because they were, they were thankful. They were grateful to the priests and Levites who were serving. They gave freely and willingly. See, I think they were actually practicing a New Testament principle that we find over in 2 Corinthians 9, um, verses 6 and 7, where it says, where Paul writes this. He says, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Y'all, I, I tell you I want you to give to the work of, of the church. I tell you I want you to give, uh, and it's not just because I want to dig in your pocketbook. Um, that's not it. Instead, I want you to do that because I believe it's a blessing to be able to be a part of God's work through that. Um, and I, I truly believe that. Um, and here, we see these people, they're not giving because, well, somebody forced me to, somebody twisted my arm. Instead, they were giving cheerfully because they were thankful for the work that was being done. They could see what God was doing, and they wanted to be a part of it. So they gave. And I talked about money enough over the last few weeks, so I'll keep moving here. So these people, they dedicate themselves to serving God by giving of their first fruits. They dedicate themselves to be purified, uh, uh, to be purified themselves according to the book. And I think that last part of that's important. They were purified according to the book. Verse 45, it says, They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, along with the singers and gatekeepers, as David and his son Solomon had prescribed. They didn't just purify themselves it, however they felt like doing it. They did it as prescribed. They did it according to the book. I think if we are really grateful people, if we really realize what God has done, I think we'll be a people of the book. And the way the book tells us that we can be purified is by the blood of Christ. That's it. That's how we can be purified. I think we need to be people of the book. Do it according to God's word. And then they dedicated themselves to participating in the ongoing support of the work. Verse 47, it says, So in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all Israel contributed to the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. They also set aside daily portions for the Levites, and the Levites set aside daily portions for Aaron's descendants. These people were dedicated to supporting the ongoing work of God. And to be set apart from the world for the sake of God and his work. Are you dedicated to God like that? Are you dedicated to your God? Because if we're thankful people, I believe we will. Whenever we realize what we just talked about, what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to, I think that will drive us to be different. I think it will change just about everything about us. So we see the grateful people, they desire to be used by God, they celebrate being used by God, and then they dedicate themselves to God. So what? So what? What do we do with this? Okay. First thing I want to ask you um, is, did you know, real question, did you know that Jesus came and died for you, died for you? Did you all know that? Um, John 3, 16, maybe the most famous verse says, um, says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Did you know you're a part of the world? You're included in that. He loved you so much that he gave his one and only son. In all of it. All of it so that we could experience life. So we could experience life. I mean, how is God better glorified than through giving life to somebody who doesn't deserve it? 
Like, that's the ultimate picture of his glory. He loves us, and he gave himself from us. And I believe that whenever we experience the grace, the kindness, the mercy, the forgiveness <clears throat> that comes through Jesus, how, I don't see how that could not change you. I don't see how it's possible that that could, how you could possibly go on just living the same way you were before. I, I, don't, I don't see how that makes sense. See, whenever we see God work in our lives, I believe that you'll have a desire to see him work through your life. Like, if you've really experienced the work of God, don't you want to continue to see the work of God? Like, I'll just tell you the first time that I ever really, now, I was saved a long time before this. I remember the first time I ever truly understood the fact that I was a sinner and I needed a savior and I needed to submit my life to him. I remember the first time I ever saw that it was like, I was like 12 years old, okay? And I, I was baptized at 12 years old and all that. But then I remember the first time that I ever really saw God, like, move through my life. And y'all, I don't, I don't have a better word for it. It was intoxicating. Y'all, that was, it was awesome. And I wanted more of it. And more of it. And you know what? I'm not saying that I'm always just always on the spiritual high because I'm not. That would be a lie. But seriously, whenever you see God move, whenever you see God work in your life, I believe it gives you this desire to see God work through your life. And you'll want more and more and more of it. So if you didn't know that Christ had died for you, well, I want you to know that today. He loved you, and even though you're a sinner, he, he loved you and he gave himself for you. So if you have experienced that, then I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to, one, celebrate Jesus, but then I also want you to dedicate your life to Jesus. So we're going to do something today, and I'm kind of excited about this because I just told you we need to celebrate what God has done in your life. Um, I think we will be driven to celebrate. Um, and some of you all know, I don't usually wear jeans and a t-shirt to preach. Um, but today I did, because today we get to celebrate. Um, and I'm excited, we get to celebrate with baptism. So what I would like to do is I would like to pray, um, and then I'm going to invite Lori up, and she has something to share with us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I'm thankful for this word. Um, I'm thankful for your servant, Nehemiah, and the work that was done through him because we get to sit here and we get to talk about what you've done through your servant. Lord, I pray that we would just want to be a continuation of, of this story, that we would want to be a continuation of the work that you've accomplished and continue to accomplish. So God, give us a desire for your word. Give us a desire for your purity. Give us a desire for your holiness. Give us a desire for your love and your grace and your kindness, God. Give us a desire to see you move. Um, Lord, and give us a desire to celebrate the work that you've done. Lord, let us be a people who see how awesome our God is and just live a life of gratitude to you. So, Father, help us, I pray. Lord, as we prepare for this time of baptism, I, I pray that that would be our heart, that we would want to just celebrate the work that you've done. God, that we can see a, a sinner saved by grace and taken from death to life. So, Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.